You're going to have your hands full. Now, I waited for a follow-up smile that would indicate that the, the man before me was just joking around. You're going to have your hands full. I thought he was joking. I thought he was trying to have fun. I've forgotten much of our wedding reception, but I've never forgotten this man's remarks to me. And for some reason, he was determined to deliver this message of warning to me on my wedding day. As I looked around, everyone's having fun, music, food, lots of joy, the greatest day of my life. This man had made a beeline to me and pulled me aside and he said, you're going to have your hands full. I've known Danae most of her life. Yeah, this really did happen. He said, I want you to know something about her. She's a very strong-willed young woman. He's looking intensely in my eyes. And so I tried to kind of laugh and, yeah, <laughs> that's funny, Where's the punchline? Where's the joke? No, I'm serious. I've known her since she was a small child, and you're going to have your hands full, and I will be praying for you. And that was it. He turned around and walked away. And I'm standing there thinking all of this fun, all of this laughter, all of this happiness, all of this joy, and that's what he brought to the table. You're going to have your hands full. You're marrying a very, or have already married, a very strong-willed woman. And that's exactly the way some of you are thinking today when we brought up the topic of submission. You're, you're, you're thinking, I came to church to be encouraged I came to church to, to fellowship, and you bring up a topic like submission these days? In this culture, at this time in our society, aren't we past this topic or this concept of submission? You're going to single out wives today. That's not something you should do to to, to get your message out there or get more people at church is to single out one group of people. You're supposed to keep it bland. You're supposed to keep it generic, but you're going to single out wives as if we've got a bunch of strong-willed women on our hands. context for this topic is so crucial because the Apostle Paul is not just talking about a bunch of strong-willed women, wives. In context, he's talking about a group of strong-willed people, Christians, those who have been filled by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have this struggle within you to walk and learn what it means to follow Christ, and you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be encouraged by one another, and to do so, in verse 21, he says, submit to one another, and he brings it up in a context of worship, in a context of fellowship. 
And he says, for the church to have harmony, for the church to have unity, you all are going to have to be harnessed by the Spirit of God. And so while in our passage today, he does single out wives, but he does so as model submitters. Wives are those in the context of the church who give us a model of what submission looks like for the rest of us. But we're all to be submitted to Christ. We're all to be harnessed by the Spirit of God. But wives have a specific ministry in the context of their marriage, which we've been talking about, which is this covenant, this one flesh covenant between one man and one woman where they become one and inseparable in every way possible. And in context of marriage, wives teach us and show us what submission looks like. Notice verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Now, what does that word submit mean? And a a lot of theologians, they try to do hermeneutical gymnastics to make it mean something it doesn't mean, to kind of water down what this word is. It's a military term. And it means to rank yourself under the authority of another. That's what the word means. It means to yield to another person's position of authority, the position that God has given them. But submission isn't forced. It is willful. It is voluntary. It is free. It is a decision another person makes to submit to someone else's authority. And we often think about it, we think about submission as giving up. Give up. Submit, like an arm bar, like some sort of MMA fight, submission hold. That's the way we think about it, that you're giving up something or you're giving in. It is actually a willful decision to rank yourself, you do it, rank yourself under the authority of another person. And by the way, this activity takes place at all times in any organization we are a part of. It takes place on teams. It takes place at your your business, at your work. You are constantly thinking about who is making decisions above you, and you are ranking yourself under their authority, under their leadership, and following them. This happens all the time with everyone here. And it happens for believers at all times as we submit to Christ and his authority. The idea of submission is actually rooted in the character of God. The Trinity, you have three persons who are equally divine, three, but they all have different roles, and they submit to different roles. In Corinthians, Paul talks about the Father as being the head, and Jesus submitting to the Father. doesn't make him less God. But he submits to his role. The father plans. The son submits to the father's plan to die for the sins of his people. And the spirit submits to this plan by pointing to the submission of Christ. It is rooted in the character of God. But what does it mean for wives in the context of marriage? Well, submission is mission. If you are a wife here today, you have a mission to submit and display the gospel. 
Notice verse 22 again. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, this word is italicized here because it refers back to verse 21, but in Colossians and 1 Peter, it's very clear. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Align yourself under his leadership in the home. But notice Paul wants to be very clear. Your own husbands. It doesn't say wives submit to all men. The Bible doesn't, doesn't elevate all men into this place of authority over all women. Now, this is a very specific context in the home where these roles are defined. You align yourself to your husband's leadership. And notice how he describes it here, as to the Lord. In Colossians, he says, as is fitting in the Lord. And he says, for wives, it corresponds with, with your following Christ, that you would be submitted to your husband is a part of you following Jesus. It is fitting as a Christian that you would do this. So if you're a wife, you can't say, I serve the Lord, but I will not submit to my husband as leader in the home. No, it's a part of your mission. Submission is your mission in your marriage. Now, why is this? We talked about this last week. Marriage exists for the gospel. Marriage exists to display the gospel. And if you don't get that, you're not going to understand any of this. You're going to be frustrated with it. But we begin with the gospel. And marriage is to preach the gospel. Husbands display the love Jesus has for his church in making himself one with his church forever through his death. Husbands are to display that love. Now, in this context, when Paul talks about these things, this would be mind-blowing. Because in this culture, women were treated as property. You had pleasure with your slaves and babies with your wife. And so they were just property. And so when he tells men to love their wives as Christ loved the church, be ready to die for her, that would have been scandalous to the men who read this. And then he says wives are to display the trust, what it means to respect, what it means to follow Christ as the church. Wives are to display those things, this response to love. You preach the gospel. And so when marriage is given any other mission apart from the gospel, it is going to be miserable for you. If it's not to preach the gospel, you will be constantly miserable as a wife. If the mission of marriage is just some status, pleasure, some sort of legacy, business partners, Fulfillment of all your romantic dreams, if that is the mission of marriage, you will be miserable. Because it will not provide those things perfectly for you. And those things do not satisfy at the end of the day eternally. And they're all self focused goals that eventually run dry. And if you go into marriage saying, What do I get out of it? First of all, that's very cruel to your spouse to demand that they would make you eternally happy. But it's self-focused, and you can never be fulfilled with your self-focused desires. And you'll be miserable if that's the mission of marriage. 
If marriage itself becomes the mission, it will be grueling and exhausting. Some of us think about marriage and we, got, we say, I got to work on my marriage. And we think about grit and we think about discipline and we think about tips for living and we think about all these things that I have to put in place and really work really, really hard on. But your grit and your discipline to do good, nice things in a marriage only lasts so long. Not that you shouldn't do those things or have grit in marriage. But a lot of times we think about those things because we have made marriage this idol that we worship. And it is the marriage. That is where our focus is. Just the marriage. If I can just get the marriage fixed, I will be happy. But marriage isn't an idol you worship to make you happy. It is a mission to bring glory to God. And for wives, you have a mission as unto the Lord that always should captivate your thoughts in everything that you do. When marriage is hard, when marriage is difficult, you are asking the question, how am I preaching the gospel of a church that that respects and follows and submits to the authority of Jesus Christ who died for her? How am I displaying that gospel in everything I do? You look around, does my church family see the gospel as I follow the lead of my husband? As they see the way we order our home and we make decisions, are they seeing the gospel? Are they seeing a church that follows and respects her savior as she follows her leader? In your home, as you work through conflict, you have a mission to preach the gospel to your children. You are a flesh and blood, living, breathing display of the gospel before your kids. They are to see the gospel in your marriage in ways that they they will never see. And so when you are in conflict, are you preaching the gospel to them? Are you honoring your husband in the way that you speak, in the way that you talk? And to the world around them, in times like we live in now where marriage is so confusing, roles are in such disarray, You have such an opportunity as you respect and honor and show grace to your husband to preach the gospel, honoring him in public, honoring him in private. Those around you see the gospel. Submission is mission for the wife. But notice why, verse 23. Here's why. Four. Why should I do this? Okay, that sounds... All well and fine and good, this mission, but why? Notice verse 23. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. For this reason you submit. For this reason you yield to the husband who is, notice, the husband is the head of his wife. Now the word head, it means authority. We could say it means he is the leader. We talked about a few weeks ago in the garden, when God created Adam, he gave him the responsibility to keep the garden, to protect the garden. He was to be the leader in the garden. This is before Eve was ever created. And he says, this is your place. You keep it and you protect it. And he was to lead, protect, and provide. And then we see with Jesus. Notice he says, even as Christ is head of the church, Jesus is authority in the church. 
He is God's king who has been given over to the church to lead, protect, and provide for the church. So we're going to talk about this next week. Guys, buckle up. If you are head of your home, you may be a good head, you may be a bad head. Good leader, bad leader, but that's the role God has given you. Just as he's given Jesus that role in the church. And this is to be displayed in the home. Again, it is about the gospel. This role is given for the sake of the gospel. And then he uses this imagery of the body, which helps even define even more this role. In the same way the head leads the body, Jesus is connected to the church to lead the church. And in the home, the husband is given this same role as leader to lead the home. Now, we've talked about this in the last few weeks. This isn't about essence. We're created with the same essence. We are created with the same dignity. Male and female are created in the image of God. And whether you are a male or a female, you are to dominate for God's glory. Whatever role you have, it's not about essence or status. We've said in Christ, we have the same status. There's neither male nor female in the context of the church. It is about order. And it is about the gospel in the home. And we have different roles for God's glory and for the sake of the gospel and our good in the home. And notice as he describes the goodness of this role as he refers to church here, the church in Christ, he says, and is himself its church, church's savior. Jesus was given authority over the church to be the church's savior, to rescue her. That's what the word means, to be this warrior who delivers her from sin and death. That's who Jesus is, her savior. Jesus was given the authoritative role for the good of the church. And the husband is to image forth this sacrificial love that Jesus has for the church, this saving love. He can't save his wife from her sin, but he has to image forth what it looks like to use his authority for her good, to serve her with the role that God has given him. And so husbands, headship is not freedom to do as you want, but the responsibility to do as you ought. That's why God's given you that role. So the issue here is, do you believe that this is God's design for your home, for the glory of the gospel and your good? So I asked Danae this week, strong-willed woman over here. I said, what would you say about submission? Like, how, how would you communicate this? What would you say? What is the one thing you would want me to say? This is immediately what she said. She said, there's no blessing without it. And I know she was referring to what a blessing it is to be my wife. <laughs> there's this joy to submit to me, her husband, the leader of our home. But that's not what she meant. She meant this is the way God designed it. And either you're going to lean into the blessing of it or you're going to reject it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, as the curse comes into the world, one of the ways in which we are cursed is chaos in the home. 
The roles are in chaos. In Genesis 3.16, as God is pronouncing a curse and he tells the woman how the curse is going to affect her, he says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. You will not want to follow his leadership. You, you will buck against the authority of your husband. And then it says, he shall rule over you. He shall fight back. And so part of the curse is that the roles in the home are in disorder and they are in chaos and there's tension and there's frustration. But the chaos in marriage is a product of the curse. For the wife to kick against leadership, to fight for power, the temptation to do that is a part of being a sinner in the home. And for the husband to use his authority and rule over his wife and push her down, that is push her down with his authority, that is a product of the curse, to rule over her instead of love her. But the gospel redeems all that, and that is the point, is that the gospel redeems the home. And in, instead of fighting for power, you, you trust your husband's leadership, and you submit, and you follow. That's what the gospel does, what the gospel displays. And for the husband, instead of ruling over his wife, pushing her down with his authority, he uses his authority to die for her, to love her. The gospel redeems the roles in the home. And so back to the question, do you believe there's blessing in this, in God's design? Or do you want the chaos of the curse in your home? Or do you want the blessing of the gospel? You see, a, a, lot of, a lot of people will say, marriage is 50-50. It's not 50-50, okay? It's not. And if you go in bargaining, bargain, bargaining, that's like bargaining and arguing together. That's a new word. <laughs> but if you go in bargaining for power, 50-50, you're going to experience the chaos of the curse because it's going to be back and forth. And there's no blessing in that. No, marriage is 100%, 100%. And you go in with your role and what God has called you to do, 100%. I'm giving over to this 100%. No matter what's going on on the other side of the table, I'm in 100% with what God has called me to do. And for the wife, there is freedom to stop fighting. You're, you're the one that can stop fighting, by the way. And step away and go, you will stand before God for the decisions you're making. I will stand before God. Do I trust you and am I following you? you will, he will stand before God as the one who's supposed to picture forth Jesus' authority in the home. And there's freedom in that. There is blessing in that. There is blessing in embracing that role. There is blessing in, in embracing the peace that comes in, in, in saying, as long as we are following Jesus, I'm good. You go follow Jesus and I'll follow you. I'm good. There's peace in that. There's blessing in that. And when you're not following Jesus, I'm going to be praying hard. I'm going to be nudging here and there and saying, hey, no, I don't know. But at the end of the day, you're going to stand before God. And there's a blessing and there's peace and there's freedom in that. And there is freedom for you to find contentment in knowing I am serving the Lord through my role. I don't care what my husband does. I do care what my husband does, but I don't care what the rest of the world thinks about me. 
Some of us are just caught up in, we don't want to be that kind of Christian woman. Ain't no man going to tell me what to do. Well, that's just feminism bravado. And it doesn't end well. No, I'm surrendered to the Lord. Lord, what would you have me to do? Oh, you've given me a role in the home to display the gospel. I'm going to find blessing and peace and joy and contentment in that. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, I still have a mission. But notice the text continues. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. He kind of pushes a little bit harder here. If you didn't hear what I said, I'm going to say it a different way. Just as the church submits to Christ, yields to Christ, by the power of the Spirit, the church ranks, them, ranks ourselves under the authority of Christ, and we say, you lead us. You lead us, the one who has died for us, sacrificed for us, you lead us, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean submit to everything he says. It's more nuanced than that. And in the context of Ephesians, what Paul is trying to communicate to the believers in Ephesus is Jesus is your provision. He is your leader. He is your protector. He is your provider. He leads the church with his word and his spirit. Jesus protects the church. One of the issues in Ephesus are these spirits. The the spiritual realm is in chaos and there are forces of darkness. Well, Jesus, being in Christ, protects you from the forces of darkness. And he provides for his church. He does the work for his church. And in chapter 1, Jesus says that in Christ... You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What he is saying is Jesus is your provision. In every way, Jesus is your provision. And in some sense, that's what he's saying about your husband here. As Christ has given us provision to the church, your husband has been given to you as God's provision. Do you see him that way? Do you think of him as that way? As God's gift to you? In every way, God's provision for you, because that is going to be the foundation of submission in the home, is that God has given me a husband who who is his provision to me. That man, that man, maybe he's not as hot as he was in college, and maybe he's a weird, quirky dad now, dorky. Maybe he's not everything you hoped and dreamed for, but he is God's provision to you. How do I know that? Your marriage certificate says so. You vowed that he would be God's provision and you would trust God in that way. You stood before the Lord and said those things. He's your provision. Get what you get, don't pitch a fit. That's what we say in our house. He is God's provision to you. And so here, stop dreaming that he would be someone else. Stop longing for him to be a better version of himself. 
Right now, he's who he is, and he is who God has for you. And you have to respond prayerfully and before the Lord, but trusting the Lord that he is the one God has given. And there is only one other man you can look to beyond him, and that is Jesus Christ. And there are times where you have to look to that man when your husband is lacking. There's only one other who's perfect. But your husband is God's provision in every way. And so how do you begin to receive him as God's leader and provision in your home? I want you to ask some questions. Run through some questions here. And as I ask these questions, men, you got to understand, you got to be these things, right? We're going to get to that in a minute. But how do I begin to look at my husband and say, he is God's gift. He is God's provision in the home. He is God's leader. Begin today by thinking, how can I specifically honor him for sacrificially leading our home? And that doesn't mean you leave here and make a Facebook post with his picture. I'm just so thankful for this Father's Day post. You know how it goes. Once a year post. No. Pull him inside, look him in the eyes and say, I'm thankful for the way you sacrifice. I'm thankful for the way that you lead our home. Where is he not stepping up because you won't step back? What decisions are being made? And maybe you're getting frustrated with those decisions, but it's all because you won't step back and go, hey, that's your deal. I'm going I'm to discipline any of the kids. What, what, where is he not stepping up because you won't step back? And begin to pray. I'm not talking about some pouty, emotional, all right, Pastor Jeremy told me to step back. No. Hey, I've been convicted and I repent because I'm taking charge in areas that I shouldn't and it's making your leadership more difficult in the home. Where can you step back? And when you're in conflict, I want you to ask the question, am I seeking to follow Jesus or just trying to get my way? Is this about I want to follow Jesus more faithfully and I want our home to know Jesus more faithfully or you just want what you want? Stop complaining about his decisions or, or lack thereof or the speed at which he's making them and start praying that Jesus would lead him. How often are you praying that Jesus would lead him when there's tension and you, I want to do this, I wish this was going on. Do you ever stop back and go, Jesus, lead him? I'll follow him, but you got to lead him. Start praying that Jesus would lead him. Start encouraging him with the word. Start pressing and pushing him toward discipleship. And be ready to embrace his mission when he gives you one. See, a lot of times we go, I want you to lead. I want you to lead. Okay, we're not going on vacation this year. We're going to Zimbabwe. Oh, I wanted you to lead, but not there. Are you ready to follow how, how do you submit to him as your provision when it comes to leadership, but also protection? Ask the question in your home. Get together as a married couple today and ask this question. How much physical, mental, emotional stress is on the wife because she has stepped away from his protection in, in so many ways? You see, I don't, I don't believe any women here 
Wives are lazy. I don't think that's what goes on with this issue. I actually think just the opposite. A lot of times women are so driven by love and nurture in the home that they step out and they begin to just do everything. And it's because they love their husband and they love their kids and they begin to do everything and they become like a soldier in war. And they step out of line and they begin to fight battles and they are a target from the enemy because they've stepped away from their protection. Now, by the way, let's go back to husbands. You got to provide some protection, some cover. But what, what areas are there stress because you've stepped away and you've become a target for the enemy with stress and, 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 and anxiety and, and making decisions that aren't yours to make, dealing with conflict that's not yours to deal with, talking, talking to his boss, that's not your responsibility. Dealing with coaches, that's not your responsibility for your kids. And you've stepped out there and you're full of anxiety and frustration. And it's often because you love your husband, you love your kids. But that stress and anxiety is not yours to take on. My wife is so much better at yelling at the jerk pizza guy than me. You mess something up with our order, our food. And, and there are times where I sinfully go, yeah, just have at it. <laughs> go tell him what you think. That's not her role. It's not her role. And it causes a lot of stress and anxiety and chaos that it shouldn't. But how do you receive your husband as provision when he comes to provider? Do you express appreciation for what he provides for the family? Are you content with your needs being provided for? Or is there always this sort of discontent? I wish we had more. I wish we did this. Do you manage the resources well? How do you receive him as God's provision in every way? And, and what do you do? This is the question some of you are having right now. What do you do when your husband is not leading as Christ leads the church? Well, first of all, you never submit to a man that's going to lead you into disobedience. Ever. You follow the Lord in that situation. If he says you're not going to church, you go to church. If he says, if he says you're not going to read your Bible, you open your Bible and you read it. Because this is as unto the Lord. And the Lord is your first priority you follow him first, and you never submit to an abusive or unfaithful husband, ever. This text is used even to support adultery at times. That is not the case, ever. He's, he's not a leader worth submitting to at that point. But how do you submit to leadership when it's not there? And, and first of all, you're going to need the gospel you're going to need the gospel. You're thinking, how do I do this? And I, I'm married to a sinner. Well, we all are sinners. And if you're mar married here today, you're married to a sinner. So you need the gospel. And you're going to have to cling to the gospel. And you're going to have to cling to the love, grace, and mercy God has shown you. In 1 Peter, even those who have married an unbeliever have an unbelieving husband. As they cling to the gospel and they display the gospel, God uses that as a testimony that hopefully brings them to faith in Christ. 
But how do you do it? Well, first of all, you are always in submission to the Lord. Even when your husband is not a good leader, you submit to the Lord first and foremost. And as you submit to the Lord, there are times where you're going to be in submission to his role and responsibility. When you're having a hard time submitting to him, you remember the role and responsibility he has. And so I'm going to, I'm going to submit to his role and responsibility while you submit him to the Lord in prayer, praying that his heart and his actions would meet his responsibility. So you get that and you go back through it. You're always in submission to the Lord, first and foremost. But there are going to be times being led by a sinful man where you have to be in submission to his role. That's not my job. That's not my role. That's not my responsibility. At that time, you are praying. You're submitting him to the Lord that he would meet in his heart, in his mind, in his actions, the responsibility that God has given him. And that's how it works out. And here's a word to husbands about submission. The church learns submission from the one whom we submit to. Some of you are saying today, I wish my wife was more submissive. Well, how submissive are you? Because the church learns submission from Jesus, who submitted to the cross, submitted to death. That's how we learn submission. And so you should still be the one who leads in submission in the home, submission to Christ. And, and, and this is why you never marry an unbeliever, because he's not in submission to Christ, and he doesn't deserve your submission. And so, so how are you teaching men submission in the home? Because Jesus is our model. He displayed submission for his bride. In Philippians chapter 2, he was the king of glory. He had all authority. He had all power. And yet he did not cling to, to equality with God, his divinity, his power, his authority. He let it go and he submitted to flesh. He became a criminal on a cross. Jesus himself is the chief submitter who submitted to death. And he is the one who leads us all in submission. So you got to follow Jesus. All of us are following Jesus back to the beginning, harnessed by the Spirit, following Jesus. Some of us have this role to display. Wives have this role to display submission as model submitters. But we're all submitting to Jesus and following him. You see, the guy at my wedding was right. Danae really is one of the most strong-willed women I have ever met in my life. And if you know her, you know that. And it is for this reason that her submission is one of the most powerful displays of the gospel in my life. She displays the gospel to me every day. And it is in this way she has taught me more about Jesus than anyone else. Because she harnesses that. This beautiful woman, amazing personality, skill. It's not diminished in, all, in any way creativity, and she harnesses that for my good and the good of others, and it is amazing display of the gospel, and it is the power of submission. The same way Jesus harnessed himself for the good of his bride, my bride does the same for me and so many others. You're going to have your hands full. Well, so did Jesus. 
with me and us. And that's why he had his hands pierced for our sin. May we follow him in submission.